Welcome to Highest Aspirations, an education podcast that explores the world of English language learners and how we can make a greater impact. Each episode, we bring you voices from across the ELL community to discuss the issues that matter most. Highest Aspirations is brought to you by Elevation Education, your partner for ELL program management and instruction. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. I'm your host, Steve Sophronis. What do effective family and community engagement strategies look like in practice? How do we empower families of English language learners as members of our communities? How might we bring a diverse group of people together around common themes and interests? We dive into these questions and much more as we kick off our series on family and community engagement with Renata Germino. Renata is a passionate educator who has spent over 20 years working with teenagers and the last nine years working with English language learners. She started the Bridges Through Bread program in Charlottesville, Virginia to bring people together around a universal topic, food. We chat with Renata not only about how we can help immigrant and refugee families, but also about the rich contributions they can make to our communities. Let's get started. Welcome, Renata. Could you start by telling us a little bit about yourself, your professional trajectory, and how you began working with English language learners? Sure. I grew up in Charlottesville, Virginia, and after graduation, I went to college at Duke, and then I decided I wanted to become a teacher, and I went to Harvard Education School, and then I decided that I really, really, really wanted to work with teenagers. So I've devoted a lot of time and energy to working with um, the middle school age students and high school age students in Prince George's County, Maryland, in Arlington, Virginia, in Charlottesville and Albemarle in Virginia, and also abroad in Nicosia, Cyprus, and San Jose, Costa Rica. And I've spent over 20 years working with teenagers and the last nine years devoted to um, students who speak other languages. And in Charlottesville, there's the International Rescue Committee here. So many of our students, English language learners, are refugees and immigrants from all around the world, from uh, Colombia and Nepal, Iraq, uh, Syria, Congo, um, Afghanistan. The possibilities are we have we have in the Albemarle County Schools we have students from um, 95 different countries. So it's a very very exciting time for us, and there's lots of chances to do to think outside of the box and to do different kinds of things to help all of our students who have very, very different needs and different personalities and different educational backgrounds. And so it's an exciting time in Charlottesville for us. That's amazing. And I, first of all, I want to say that I love it that you talk about this in such a positive sense, that it's an opportunity and that um, there's some you know wonderful things we can do with all these assets that we have, people coming from all these different cultures and languages. So uh, I applaud that. Um, we do certainly face challenges, but within those challenges, lots of opportunities as well. Yeah, well, our, our schools are fascinating and our students are fascinating. And one of the reasons why 
I decided to write this grant was to show people in the community that people aren't just one-sided, one-faceted, one way, that people have all different kinds of characteristics and strengths and talents and interests. And this grant was is devoted to um, helping our community better understand different kinds of people and to meet each other in a in a non-traditional way. Wonderful. And I just was going to get into that and to talk a little bit about um, the Bridges Through Bread program and the grant that you got for that. So um, you talked a little bit about why you started it, but if you want to elaborate on that, that would be great. Maybe, you know, you talked a little bit about where the idea came from, but how did it all kind of get started for you? Um, it got started on a walk with my dog and I was on the river and I walked all right around my dog on the river and I ran into one of my students, Aineso, um, and he was, he's from Thailand and he speaks Karen and he was with his mom and had met his mom before in school, but his mom with an interpreter said very, very little. And uh, so I didn't have a good, I didn't know his mom at all, but Aineso was with his mom and they were fishing and his mom had caught this fish, which is um, amazing. And she started talking to me in Karen about how you cook the fish. And I had no idea what she was saying. And Aineso said, oh, my mom's telling you how to cook this fish. She's telling you the spices to add. She's telling you the temperature, the, those kind of things. And it was such an, she was so animated and so interested in, in telling me that I saw a whole new side of her. And then I was just talking to my husband who is also in education. And I said, you know, that isn't that neat. She she's completely different. She she just I saw a completely different way of, of her, and that's how it all started. And our grant is very much um, at the beginning stages. I would know I would not say that we have a handle on every aspect of the grant, and we are ready to give you know nine hour presentations on how to to conduct this grant other places. But we are very open to sharing our ideas and. What has gone well? What we what are our struggles and um, what we could change? Because ideally, I got this grant through the Novo Foundation and Education First and the Rockefeller Foundation. And ideally, what we would like to do with our grant is we're going to expand on it, and we also want it to be a way in a in a way that other people can replicate it, because it has been really amazing and fun and challenging. And we'd also love advice about it too, as well. So let's back up a little bit and talk a little bit about, so you, you got this grant, you were inspired in this wonderful way, um, by seeing one of your students and, um, his or her, sorry, his, and his, and his mom in just a totally different light, which in conversations that I've had with kind of family engagement experts and teachers in the field, that's kind of the key, right? Is just getting to know people for who they are and not knowing them as, oh, I have your student in class, but getting to know people um, in a more sort of cultural way. And so food is such a great connection to that. So, or way to connect that. So I'm curious as if you could tell us a little bit about, like I've watched your YouTube videos and I've read some articles about what actually happens in Bridges Through Bread, but maybe we could kind of start there and just give people kind of an idea of what it is and what happens on those evenings or those afternoons when you do that. Okay. So our, our hope is that it spurs um, cross-generational connections too, because a lot of times I work with refugees and 
a lot of times their parent, their families come here to Charlottesville, Virginia. They're very, very um, happy at first and excited to be in a new place. And then, you know, they realize they're going to have to work two or three jobs and that their kids are in school all day and their kids end up learning English so much more quickly than their older parents. So this kind of creates this weird uh, power shift where the parents are used to having so much power and raising their kids and teaching their kids right from wrong and, and telling their kids about their culture. And then all of a sudden the kids are the ones, you know, translating their mail and their phone messages and teaching them about a world that they know, know very little about. So we wanted to do this so that the, the staff of the school, so the bus drivers, the guidance counselors, the, the attendance people, the librarians, the people in the schools see our students in a way that they don't normally see them, and also the parents. And we, we are very interested in how the parents, how the students feel about their parents, seeing their parents in a position of power and authority, and that the parents are the experts, that the teachers are not the experts, that the parents are their experts and their parents have valuable things to teach us even though their language their language skills are still developing. Um, so we started it, we've had five classes and we started it with Nepal and then Afghanistan and then um, Egypt, Venezuela, and now this is actually our fifth, next weekend is gonna be Syria. And it has been interesting to see, we've kind of just um, talked to different people. Oh, do you like to cook? Um, does anybody in your family like to cook? You know, and then it kind of goes from there. Um, each class has been completely and utterly different from the class before, depending on who's teaching it, depending on how they like their kitchen. Um, our grant is a, is a partnership with the Charlottesville Cooking School and the Albemarle County Schools, and also Charlottesville City Schools has been involved, and um, the Roots Garden, which is a garden run by the International Rescue Committee. The, the um, farmers at Roots Garden are, are refugees in our community. So we're trying to do build lots of connections that um, and, and connect people that don't nece wouldn't necessarily need each other in this kind of environment. So to answer your question, it's a lot of legwork right now. We start off by finding the, a family that would like to do it. Then we meet with their family. Then the student and the family makes a presentation about their country. And, you know, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, and we show it at the cooking class. And that is a lot of work. And a lot of times it'll take a lot of encouragement for the students. Come on, you can do it. You can do it because it's scary to present something in front of adults and other, and other students your age. And then we bring the parents or the families to the cooking school. They spend a lot of time looking at the pots, the, the soup, the rice pans, the utensils. And I'm not a big cook. So to me, this is also another reach for me because I don't cook at all. So when people sit there and, and want to talk for half an hour, an hour about the rice pot and the temperature and the oven, and, you know, it's just completely, completely um, new for me. 
And after we do that meeting, then we have the class. And the class is usually on a Sunday because that's when I can do it. And two other teachers, um, Shannon Smith and my husband, Anthony Smith, we all do it together. And Sunday afternoons, about for about two hours, two and a half hours, and the parents get paid and the cooking school gets paid. And then the, the grant is also for interpreters and rides and for um, the food. And so we we're, this is our fifth class. We're hoping to do um, Salvadorian after Syrian. And there's a lot of thing, there's a lot of ways it can grow from here. And we're not, we quite, we haven't quite sorted out exactly what we want to do, but we have lots of ideas of, of what we would like to do. Well, it sounds amazing what you have done so far. I just uh, pulling a couple things out of there. Um, I, I I love it that you seem to have your bit. One of the questions I was going to ask you was, you know, how how is it that the cooks, the the parents can sort of communicate with others? But it sounds like you have money in the grant for interpreters to cover that. You have transportation to bring them over. So it sounds like you've thought of some of the stumbling blocks that that may have that may have occurred. The other thing I took out of that that I think is really interesting is that that um, you're speaking about at the beginning there the power shift um, with the students kind of being the ones that sort of adapt more quickly because of perhaps their age and their language acquisition period, perhaps just because they're socially um, active. And really, it must be interesting for those students to see their parents um, kind of in a position of, I don't know if position of power is the right way to put it, but in a position of that they're teaching somebody something else and the community members or whoever's there are sort of interested in what they're learning. And I, I'm, I'm curious about that kind of interaction between the people that come to these um, events and the people that are actually putting on the or, or demonstrating the, the recipes. Um, it's amazing. I mean, honestly, the, the best thing for you to do would just be to come see it because it, it's really it's amazing experience. And it, it's um the the families are so 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 proud the most important thing is it shows everybody that we all have a lot to learn and how we learn that is in many different ways um but too many times people who come to our country refugees and immigrants they're thought of oh you know poor them they had to leave their country and let's help them you know maybe we can give them some clothes or we can help them you know, with food, or we can help them with in language classes. And, and it really changes things when they're helping us. And it's good also for, for all of us to say, oh, so they'll teach a little, they usually, they'll teach a little bit of Arabic, or they'll teach a little bit, you know, of um, Dari. And it's good for everybody to sit there and have to talk in Dari, because you, you, that's how you can understand what it feels like a little bit. If, if you're sitting there trying to talk in Dari and you feel a little embarrassed because your accent sounds, you know, funny even in Dari, well, imagine how a 15-year-old teenager feels, you know, I mean, speaking English all day. So it's just, it's a good, it's good for us to feel uncomfortable and it's good for us to see different perspectives and to see people in different ways. And this grant is just the beginning of this. We want to involve more parts of the community and different organizations in the community. So we have a lot of ideas in those directions. 
So you've talked a lot about partnerships, and I know you've worked with Novo, Education First, the Rockefeller Foundation, um, and even local organizations. I know you mentioned the Charlottesville Cooking School, I think, and a couple, I think you mentioned a garden, um, a local garden where refugees work. I'm just curious um, if you could talk with us a little bit about the importance of forging those partnerships when you're doing this kind of work. Well, I think that especially in Charlottesville, well, I can speak to Charlottesville and Albemarle County. There are a lot of people who want to do good things. And our community has gone through a very difficult time. And there's a, there's a lot of organizations that are devoted to helping people and understanding people and learning about people, but they're not connected. They're, a lot of times they're not connected and, and they're not, people don't know exactly how to help or they don't know exactly what to do. So um, it's very, very powerful to have people from different neighborhoods and different organizations forging ahead together. Um, and then too often we do it in isolation. Too often the schools do it in isolation. Too often, I think, you know, social service organizations do it in isolation. And the more we partner through something, the more the community heals and the more the community is connected and um, intertwined. Yeah, that's great. And, I, you know, again, sort of taking the positive and, and you know, you mentioned having the community heal and also this, the siloed nature of um, these kinds of initiatives and the way that community and schools work together always benefits from bringing groups together to do, um, to do these kinds of things. And we're trying to do it more than just like, okay, international night where somebody brings noodles and, you know, and somebody brings noodles and somebody brings salsa and chips, you know, we're trying to, scratch below the surface of that. Whereas that is fun. It's fun to get together and have some kind of international cultural celebration, but we're trying to get it so that the kind of the parent energy is going to drive the program. The family energy will drive the program instead of, you know, so the parents are engaged, parent engagement, instead of the schools driving the program or the teachers driving the program, we're going to try to get, we want to get it so more that the parents take the lead on things and say, okay, well, this next class can be, you know, Mexican cooking and I'm going to talk to these people and I'll help, you know, and then, and we're also going to try to do a recipe book and, and these other things too. So it's, it, there's, there's room to go so many different directions with it. So another thing that I wanted to ask you about was, I know you work with a lot of young people from the international, international rescue committee. Yes. Talk with us a little bit about that experience. Well, they, the International Rescue Committee is in 20 different locations in the United States. And it was started by Albert Einstein as, and it's run through the State Department. And they, they, the IRC brings 200 people to Charlottesville every year from war-torn countries where their safety is at such incredible risk and um, danger that they that they are brought to safety here, um, brought to safe harbor here, and they are citizens. They're granted citizenship. Um, so that every single year we get 200 people, and the countries they come from vary on 
you know, what, what countries they're focused on by the UN and the State Department at any given year. Um, we're getting a lot of Colombians and we've gotten some Syrians. And um, before that, we had lots and lots of Somalians and Nepalese. And so what, what, it, what the IRC does is they bring the families to Charlottesville. They give them, they help them with housing and they help them look for a job and they tell them, show them the bus routes and the hospital and things like that um, for a couple of months. And then the families are on their own. You know, their families are survivors and they're, they are extremely driven and extremely, you know, their, their kids' schooling is, is of utmost importance to them whether they've had no schooling or if they, there's also special immigrant visa uh, families where those, those students are, the families are often interpreters for our, our military. So those students um, tend to have had pretty, you know, good schooling. But one of the challenges is that they, so a student will arrive from Syria and it's not like you have their report card from kindergarten and first grade and second grade and third grade, you have just a piece of paper that says they've attended school for these years. Um, but if you know you delve deeper, that what does that mean? It might have been in a refugee camp like Priya, who was she, her mom taught the first class. Priya grew up in a refugee camp. She's from Bhutan, and they grew, she grew up in a refugee camp in Nepal, and. What does school mean? It might mean, you know, Priya with 300 people in, a, in one one area. She They might have gone to school twice a week. I mean, you know, it's, just, it's very, very difficult. So there's a wide range of educational backgrounds. And that's another very important thing is that when people think about refugees and immigrants, they're they're not all the same. I mean, they're completely different, as is everybody else, but they're, they're completely different, completely different educations, completely um, different languages. And many of them speak four or five, six languages, you know, and here we are, you know, struggling with, with one and sometimes two, but uh, a lot of the kids speak multiple languages, um, which is also, I think, very, you know, humbling to see what other countries, how, how other countries are, are teaching and how kids are learning different languages and how our country is still struggling to learn other languages. Absolutely. And, you know, when you talk about that wide range of educational backgrounds among the students, I would think um, that there must be even more variance in educational background with those students' parents. And so I'm wondering if you... Um, you know, if that is the case, how do you kind of mitigate that? Again, how do you kind of make that sort of an asset-based opportunity that all these people have different sort of views, both experiences and perhaps perceptions of what school is? Parent involvement is a big, is a big challenge. And it's a challenge for across the board. I mean, in elementary school now, elementary school parental involvement is much, much higher, but middle and high school you know, we've got a lot of work to do because there's a lot of research that's shown and common sense has shown that the more parents are involved, the better attendance the kids have, the better feelings the kids have about school, about their lives, um, you know, all kinds. It's, just, it's common sense, but we, we're struggling with 
you know, ways to, to reach all of our parents in middle schools. Yeah, and I'm glad you mentioned both that there's a lot of research backing it. There's also a common sense. I mean, even in, even in speaking with researchers, they will, in fact, I spoke with one today and she was mentioning, you know, we have a lot of research to back up the idea that, that family engagement is really important at all grade levels. But if you also walk into a school where they're doing family engagement well, you just feel it. You just know it's there. So there's that combination of like, you know it's right, and then having the research to back it up. And I think we're sort of getting to a point now where um, it, it's sort of hard not to um, start to really engage in some serious discussions about what we can do to make it better, not just for our immigrant students, but really for all students. You know, one, one, of, the, one of the main reasons why we were so excited to have you on as a guest is so that you could share this, this really kind of positive um, experience that you've put into place in your in your community and i'd like to know how, how would you recommend a school or a community with a demographic similar to yours get started with with it with an initiative like this like what's the first step i guess the first step is to see why you want to do it so what is the reason what are things that you want to change why do you want to change this and then figure out some things that you want to change and then well how are you going to change it and then go from there and i would also say talk to other teachers. Like I would be happy to talk to people about it as would Shannon, who I work with and Anthony. Um, we would be happy to talk, to talk about it and start small maybe. Um, and with these kind of things that take money, you know, you just have to sit down. I just have to sit down and put a designated amount of time that I'm going to spend. Okay. I'm going to spend three hours on this and then I'm going to do something else because there's a lot of, there are a lot of organizations that, that want to help. Um, and, but it is an addition to, to just teaching. It is another thing that you have to manage and think about. Um, but I, my teaching gets better and I get more happy with my teaching if I'm doing other things like this. So it's kind of, it, it makes it easier for me in the long run, even if it's a lot of work right now. Yeah, for sure. And I think that thinking about that first step as being kind of a design-based challenge, right? Like, what's the problem? What is it that we're trying to solve? Otherwise, you can run around in circles. And the other thing that you mentioned, I think that's really important is it's one thing to get through that step. And then it's another thing to be able to say, okay, I need to now sit down and find the organizations that are willing and able to give, of which there are many. But I know I've found myself as a teacher many times, I'll fully admit it, saying, boy, this needs to change. How can I do it? Okay, this is how I can do it. Now I need to figure out who can help me do it. And that's the point at which I many times, um, you know, and, and I'm, I'm a little ashamed to say it, but I felt paralyzed, you know, like I, how am I going to find the time and the energy to do it? I think you really bring up a good point about, you know, once you do those things, and I have done them before, certainly not to the extent that you have, um, but, but when you do, it really brings out the best in your teaching um, and it really kind of uh, hopefully gives you and your fellow faculty and staff the energy to to continue doing um, doing a doing a job that is uh, that is extremely rewarding, but also um, pretty demanding. So I have one last question for you, and that is how can people find out more about um, what you're doing, the Bridges Through Bread program, the organizations that you partnered with? <laughs> Um, really, they just, it's not like a big, huge thing right now. It's just me. And it's, it's only like three of us. So it would really just be to contact me. 
it, it wasn't a huge grant. So our grant was only $5,500. So I, and I guess I, I would put a plug in for people just to, if you, and I know because I have, after I, re I read an article, I get just sort of Google alerts about what's happening in the world of English language learners. And I got an alert to an article. I think it was from one of the Charlottesville papers about the program. And then from there, I was able to see some YouTube videos. And I know for a fact, so I'll tell you in case you don't know, Renata, you can absolutely Google um, Bridges Through Brad, maybe um, maybe some ELL in there, and you will find um, those videos that you all have created on YouTube that give kind of a glimpse of what happens during those. During those. Yeah, we did two of them so far. Yeah, my husband did that. And no pressure to create more, but they were they were wonderful, and I think they'll give people kind of a glimpse um, into what we've talked about today. With that, we really uh, appreciate your time um, and you telling us a little bit about what you've been doing, and hopefully people will walk away from this kind of knowing a little bit more about what's possible and some ways that, uh, that they can help get their families and communities engaged. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Highest Aspirations. If you liked our show, please be sure to join the ELL community at elevationeducation.com slash ELL community, where you'll find all the episodes of Highest Aspirations and other resources to help educators maximize the impact on their English language learners. Also, let us know how we're doing by writing a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts.